May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning, and may the words from my mouth be just what we need to hear. John Krakauer is a mountain climber, and he wrote a book called Into Thin Air. And the book is about an expedition in 1996 to Mount Everest when several of the climbers died in a blizzard. Well, he didn't know that the blizzard was coming. He stood on top of Mount Everest and he saw some cloud formations and thought they looked kind of neat, but he didn't really think that anything was wrong or that there was a problem, but there was. And later, he met, after this was all over, he met another climber who had returned quickly to base camp when he saw that very same cloud formation that John saw. He hurried back down the mountain as soon as he saw it above him because he recognized that formation. He knew that because he was a pilot in his years of flying over clouds that this was a dangerous storm coming their way. And he learned to recognize what are called thunderhead cloud formations, and that's what that was. They were sure, it was a sure sign that dangerous weather was directly ahead, coming quickly. So when he saw that thunderhead, he turned around and he headed for the for safety, went back to base camp. If you're a mountain climber, it pays to know and understand more than the average person about the weather. And like that pilot was a sharp weather observer, Jesus was a human nature observer. In today's lesson, he's in the temple. And as he taught the crowds who came to the temple to worship and to learn, he saw two groups of people, and I'm going to talk about, first of all, the people that he saw were the teachers of the law. Now, as Larry just read, we can tell that Jesus wasn't too awfully impressed with these people. That's putting it lightly. He said, watch out for these guys. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They walk around all dressed up. They get respect. They get the best seats in church and in other places too. But they devour widows' houses. And for show, they pray long prayers, long pretty impressive prayers with lots of big words. And then he says they will be punished. I'll leave that up to you. And I'll leave that up to God to decide what that punishment was. Those are harsh words. Those were the most religious people in the community. And Jesus had some negative things to say about them. These holy men, in Jesus' eyes anyway, were not quite as holy as they wanted people to think they were. Like I told the kids, there's a little bit of pretending going on here. And is that really very unusual? No. There's a lot of it goes on in churches and clubs and various organizations. There are people who are always trying to impress. And then there are people who really don't have what they say they have, and so they fake it till they make it, so to speak. And you'll find them in pretty much any profession. You'll find, I'm sure, 
no matter where you go in the professional world, people who are pretending that they know more than they do. I read an amusing story about a man in the sports world who was a soccer player, and he pulled off quite a scam that went on for a pretty good period of time. His name was Carlos Kaiser. He was born in 1963 in Brazil, and Brazil, of course, is a country that's known for its great soccer players and soccer teams. Well, Carlos was an athletic guy, and at 16, he joined a professional team. But shortly after joining that team, they noticed that he wasn't all that he, they had hoped he would be, and so they cut him. He was good, but he was not a professional player. And so you think his career ended, but no. He decided to con his way onto as many professional soccer teams as he possibly could. Whenever coaches were looking for extra players, as they did back in those days, Carlos would apply. And he was convincing. He had a good story to tell. And so he would get a short-term contract with the team, and then he would say that he needed about a month to get in good physical shape because he, he hadn't been working out regularly, and then he'd be ready to go out onto the field. And then during that month, he would collect his paycheck without doing too much of anything, didn't play much soccer at all, and then when he finally did get called out to play on the field, he would get injured. He would pull a muscle. Now today, if you say you pull a muscle, it can be determined pretty easily by medical science, whether you have or not. Uh, back in those days, it was a little bit harder to disprove a pulled muscle. And so he would say that he, would, that he pulled a muscle and the protocol in those days was six weeks of no playing. And so he would need six weeks to recover. And while he was sitting on the bench and still getting paid, he would go find some local reporters and he would bribe them to tell good stories about his athletic abilities and about his amazing soccer skills. And so the fans would read this and they wanted to see him play. So then teams would come along and compete to offer him a better contract than he had. And altogether, before it was over, Carlos Kaiser had contracts with 10 different professional soccer teams, and he never ever played a full game of soccer. But he made some money. Some people have a talent for scamming other people. Jesus had a talent for recognizing people who were scammers in his day. Remember, he could look inside. He could examine people's hearts. He knew their motivations. He could see what was going on inside them. And that's what he saw when he looked at the religious leaders of his day. They were scammers. The teachers of the law were the most respected members of the community. They had spent years studying, memorizing scripture, Religious law, they knew every word. They were the authorities when it came to religion. They expected to be praised. They expected to be honored by people. But Jesus was not impressed at all. He knew it's not wise to judge by outward appearances. Sometimes things are not as they appear, as we all know. 
So Jesus, back in his day, aggravated the religious leaders because he wasn't impressed by all that they pretended to be and by their appearances. He spoke against making a show of our religion, and they didn't like that. They expected to be rewarded by everyone for their holiness. They expected to be first in line. They expected to get the best seats in the house. And all that praise that they got went to their heads. And so they expected more. And even worse, some of them used their positions to manipulate their followers and to give in more money than they could really afford to give. Notice that phrase about devouring widows' houses. I looked up to see what I could learn about that. And one source explains it like this. In speaking of the scribes devouring widows' houses, Jesus was condemning the greedy, predatory way in which the scribes and other members of the religious establishment would not hesitate to mercilessly drive people into poverty while enriching themselves through their demands for offerings or payments in the name of religion, even if those payments would include the seizure of a widow's estate, leaving her with no means of support or no place to live. Can you imagine in the name of religion? Despite this deliberate cruelty, the scribes would then put on a visible appearance of being very religious by saying lengthy prayers in public and otherwise displaying their supposed piety in places where other people would see them do so and praise them for it while also enjoying all the tangible benefits that came from their status as members of the religious hierarchy, such as the seats of honor at religious feasts or in the synagogue during worship. Jesus said that their punishment would be greater because of their hypocrisy, end quote. So he saw that group. And that brings us to the second thing that Jesus saw that day. He saw a poor widow. Widows in Jesus' day, as I mentioned to the kids, were very often poor. They were very vulnerable. The only safety net they had was the synagogue and their, their church family, their extended family. If others did not help them, most of them would be hungry or they would be homeless. And yet, in spite of their low status, in spite of her low status, I should say, and her place in society and her poverty, this widow gave all of her money. She gave everything she had, all she had to live on, to the temple treasury. She didn't look for any attention. She didn't do it to impress anybody. And if it hadn't been for Jesus, nobody would have even noticed her. Nobody would have even known what a great sacrifice she was making. So why did she do it? She did it because she trusted God. Because loving God has its own reward. And when we love God, we are willing to sacrifice, to follow him. This widow reminds me of another woman who I've referred to many times in the past here from this pulpit who was totally devoted to God. A woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Corey worked in her father's watchmaking business in the Netherlands and led a youth group. She instructed the youth in the Christian faith. She taught them performing arts. She taught them sewing. She was a real 
pillar in her community. Her family had a very comfortable life until, that is, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands in 1940. And as the Nazi soldiers began gathering up Jews to take them to concentration camps, Corey and her father and mother and siblings made a decision as a family to save as many Jewish citizens as they possibly could. And so they built a secret room behind their closet in their house, and they hid the Jews from the Nazis. They joined the Dutch resistance, which was a movement that smuggled as many Jews as possible out of the country to safer countries. In the Ten Boom family, it's estimated they got about eight or 900 people out of that country before someone reported them to the Nazis and the whole family was sent to concentration camps. Now, Corey and her sister, Betsy, were sent to Ravensbrück. None of the concentration camps were good places to be, but Ravensbrück was known as one of the worst. And they were there, and like the other prisoners, they were stripped of their clothes, they were beaten, they were fed just enough food to keep them alive, and they lived in a constant threat daily of death. Did they give up? No. Instead, Corey and Betsy held worship services for the other ladies in the camp. They refused to give up their faith in a good God, even though their faith and their good works had brought them to where they were, this horrible prison camp. In December of 1944, Betsy died at Ravensbrook. Twelve days later, Corey was released. A few days after she was released, all of the women in her age group at Ravensbrook were exterminated, taken to the gas chambers. Think for a moment and see Corey Tenboom, or see Jesus, I should say, the way that Corey Tenboom saw him. To the outside world, Corey Tinboom was just a middle-aged woman. She was just a starving, dirty, beat-up, bruised, and battered person. She was poor. They took everything she had from her. But when Jesus looked at her, he saw something different. He saw a valuable person. He saw someone who was committed to their faith and who trusted God completely. She had given everything she had, just like her Savior had. After Corey was released from the concentration camp, she returned to the Netherlands and did great work. She opened a rehabilitation center for victims of the concentration camp. She wrote books, wonderful books, a few of which I've read about her family's experience in the war, and she traveled all over the world sharing her faith in Christ. One of her more famous quotes is this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That was her secret. That was the widow's secret. That's faith. Faith is not an outward show of holiness. 
Faith is not me walking around and standing up here in my white robe and, and, and my, my beautiful stole. Standing behind our beautiful altar and having, having a communion service with you. I feel it's right and good that I dress this way for communion. I don't always, but sometimes do. And I feel that it's right and good for a minister to stand before his congregation or her congregation dressed this way. It's done for, for honor and for, for God's glory. It's done to remind us of the beauty of God's kingdom, of the beautiful things that will be our waiting for us. The scriptures say we're going to wear white robes. But anyway, Corey was a truster of God. It's, she had an inner trust, and so did the widow. A trust that will provide you with everything you need, just as it did her. The widow in the temple had that trust in God, and she gave everything she had, it says, to God. The religious leaders, with all their holiness and all their theological training, didn't seem to understand the real meaning of faith. Religious leaders put on a show for everybody. The poor widow only had an audience of one. But that audience of one was more important than all the people packed in all the religious temples of the world combined. His name was Jesus. And he noticed the widow's faith. And he complimented her on her faith. God knows. When you do those quiet little deeds for others. Things that go unnoticed by everyone else. Those acts of kindness. We're going through a really difficult time at my house right now. And I'll tell you what. All of your acts of kindness toward myself, Shelly, and the kids may go unnoticed and do go unnoticed by others. But God notices those things. When you do all those little things. And we notice too. Not only do we notice, but it brings us to our knees. Thanking God that we're here, number one. And thanking God that we are blessed enough to have a congregation and friends and family like you all. It seems like every time we're having one of those days lately, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do for supper. I'm probably going to have to go run through McDonald's. And the kids are going, yay, and I'm going, no. This is you know third time this week. We, we can't have McDonald's again. Here comes Alice. Brought you some food. You know, This has happened over and over again. And we appreciate that. But my point is that even though if I hadn't mentioned it here, nobody would know that Alice brought me a meal, and Alice wouldn't care. But God notices. And not just bringing meals to your pastor, but I'm talking about doing kind things for everyone, people around you, for showing the love of God to other people. God knows and blesses us for all of our quiet, unnoticed acts of love for other people, our acts of faith like the widow. 